Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I hope your summer is going well and you're enjoying the good sunny days that the Lord has given to us. We have been hearing from Pastor Pat the last couple weeks about the importance of recognizing the times and knowing the culture that we're in while it is definitely going in the wrong direction is nothing new. If you study history, you know it's been one thing after another since the Garden of Eden. But we still have a mission and we still have a purpose. Our foundation is important. He talked last week about knowing our foundation and building on it and taking the word into a culture that needs to hear it. And it's that theme I want to build on this morning, that we have the answer, but we need to take the answer into a world that is in desperate need of change. But to do that, you have to have a foundation that you can stand on, a foundation that you know is true, and if there's cracks in that foundation, you're going to run into trouble. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 this morning. That's where we're going to start. And that's a chapter that talks about Jesus sending his disciples out into the culture of the time that Jesus came on the earth. He tells them first, as you read the beginning of the chapter, and this is a good chapter to read this week, by the way. We won't have time to read it all this morning. But he tells them how he's going to equip them to take the message into a culture uh, that really doesn't know what's going on. So he tells them, here's your equipment. I want you to go out. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to clean lepers. I want you to drive out demons. I want you to do all those things. And when you do that, people are going to notice. Well, I guess they would, especially if you raise somebody from the dead. They're really going to notice. And then as you go through, keep reading the chapter, he tells them what the effect of all that is going to be. As they make those inroads into the culture, this is what you can expect the culture to do. As you heal the sick, as you raise the dead, as you cleanse out uh, lepers and you know, drive out demons, this is what's going to happen. They're going to arrest you. They're going to flog you. They're going to betray you. They're going to hate you. They're going to lock you up. They're going to persecute you. You're even going to get killed. Now, that's not a good response. Wouldn't you think if you're going to take a message into a world that needs to hear it, that when you heal, see somebody healed or a demon driven out, that that's going to get people excited and they're going to want to know what the message is and they're going to flock to the message to hear it. But he says, no, it's actually going to be the opposite. Because the more you take the message into a dying culture, the more resistance you're going to run into. But look at Matthew 10, verse 16. That's sort of my theme verse today. Because in this transition verse between what you can be equipped with and what you can expect to happen, Jesus gives them a little insight into how to be successful. And if we're going to be successful of taking the gospel message into the culture we have today, 
We need to know what we need to do to be successful. So in verse 16, Matthew 10, he says this. I send you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What does that mean? I've always found this scripture to be intriguing. You don't want to be a sheep in the midst of wolves because there's no way you can win. Wolves will tear a sheep apart. A sheep doesn't have any defenses. So that's not good right off the bat. But he says you'll be successful if you're wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. But what does that mean? How can you be wise as a serpent? Because let's face it, being a serpent is actually not a good thing in the Bible. The serpent is identified with Satan. And he's also identified with snakes. In, in some translations, it says, you know, be as wise as the snakes, be as subtle as snakes, and, and harmless as a dove, or as ininfluential as a dove. What does he mean we need to be as wise as a serpent? Because that's talking about Satan. We have to be like Satan in order to win? Because that doesn't even sound right. We know that Satan, he lies, he cheats, he, he destroys, he ruins everything. Is that what he wants us to do? Take the message by lying and cheating? By just saying anything that'll work? Because that doesn't sound right. Do we have to be like the world in order to win the world? How can you be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove? Well, let's look at what the serpent is wise about. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Because this is the first time we actually see the serpent. He comes in right at the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. And in the first verse of chapter 3 in Genesis, you learn everything you need to know about Satan. You learn about how he does things. You learn about what he's going to do. And he has never changed. And all since the Garden of Eden all the way up to today, he's got the same tactics. Genesis 3.1 says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, right off the bat, he's called crafty, subtle in some translations. He doesn't attack God outright, but he does attack what God has said. Satan knows his mission, and he never deviates from it. He wants to destroy everything that God has done. He wants to destroy the perfect world that God has created. He wants to destroy Adam and Eve. He wants to destroy everything that God has put into place, and he still wants to do that today. And he doesn't change. He knows what he's doing, and that's his focus. He's going to use whatever means necessary to destroy what God wants, what God has built. And everything he does is directed towards that goal. If he gets a setback, he just finds another way around. He never deviates from his purpose or from his goal. And the way he does it is still the same as well. Did God actually say? He takes what God has said 
and he twists it. Now, there isn't anyone, I don't think, in, in the entire corpus of Scripture or ever on the earth that understands what God has said the way Satan understands what God has said. He knows exactly what God has said. He knows what God has built. He knows what God's purpose is. He knows where God is going. And he wants to ruin it. He knows what to do to get you to think that God doesn't know what he's talking about. See, if the church was as focused as the world is, we'd be a lot farther ahead. But so often, we don't know our purpose. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We hear things like, oh, let's go take the gospel into the world. Okay, we'll do that. And then we're like, well, hmm, I don't know how to do that. And so we don't do it. And then I, I run into people all the time that come and say, you know, what will you pray for me so I can find my purpose? I, I don't know what my calling is. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Will you help me, help me to find what God wants me to do? Seriously? You don't know what God wants you to do? You've read the Bible, you don't know what God wants you to do? You come to church, you don't know what God wants you to do? You know what God wants you to do. You just don't want to do it. It's too hard to do it. When he came to Adam and Eve, Satan knew what he wanted. He wants to ruin the Garden of Eden. He wants to ruin Adam and Eve. He knows what God has said, and he twists the meaning. Did God say you can't eat of that tree, in any tree? Eh, God didn't say that. He knew God didn't say that. But he knows God's word is true. That if you eat that fruit, death's going to come. Adam and Eve also know God's word. It's not new to them either. If Satan knows what God has said, Adam and Eve know what God has said. They're very well aware that God said not to eat of that tree. And when Satan starts to talk to them, Satan finds out very quickly, Adam and Eve know what God has said, but Adam and Eve are not 100% convinced that it's true. And because there is a little bit of doubt there, Satan weasels him a little self in and gets them to admit there might be a better way. Yeah, the garden is good. Yeah, we got everything we eat. Yeah, it seems like we're going in the right direction. We're, we're going to have children. We're going to, you know, go across the earth. It's going to be a wonderful civilization all built for God. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's good, but maybe there's a better way. And Satan said, yeah, there is a better way. You know, you could be just like God. What do you want to do it God's way for when you can do it your own way? You think God's way is the best. But you know, it's not about what God says. It's about what you want. What do you want? And when you want something, then what God says is not quite that important to what you want. See, the problem in the church today, as I see it, is this same problem. We know God's word. Good heavens, we have the Bible in so many different translations. We could be reading it all day, every day. For next 10 years, we couldn't read all the uh, translations we have. We know the word of God. 
but we really don't believe the word of God. And once our foundation gets a crack, Satan can walk right through the door. The last Barna poll said only 35% of Christians today believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Now, if only 35% of the church believes God's word is truth, is it any wonder we're not making any headroads into the culture? Because we listen to the word, but then we only hear what we want to hear. And Satan begins to twist it. Didn't God say he wanted you to prosper? I mean, look at the plans I have for you, said God. Plans to prosper you. Well, you're not prospering, so there must be a problem. Doesn't God love you? How come you're not prospering? Didn't God say not to judge others? Judge not that you be not judged? So why are you telling people that their behavior is sin? Who are you to say that that's sin? They don't think it's sin. Who are you to judge them? Didn't God say not to judge anybody? And here you are being so judgmental. Didn't God say he would heal you? So how come you're not healed? He said he would heal you. Must be your problem because you're not healed. You didn't have enough faith. The Holy Spirit's not moving or something's not happening. Because didn't God say he would heal you? Didn't God say he would deliver you? Didn't God say he was going to do all these things? Well, do you look around? Do you see them happening? I don't think so. Doesn't God want you to be happy? There's that wonderful verse in the Bible where God says, I want all my people to be happy. And when you find that verse, I want you to send it to me. Because I've read the Bible in several places, and I haven't found that verse yet, but I hear it all the time. God wants me to be happy. So send it to me. I'm still waiting on it. Didn't God say we're supposed to love everybody? And if I love everybody, how can I judge them? I have to make them feel wanted. Don't we need to bring everybody in the church and make them feel wanted? Isn't that our goal? To make everybody feel loved no matter what they're doing? Those kind of cracks get in the foundation. And it's a wonder we don't make inroads into the culture. But Adam and Eve found out real quick that when God says something... It's truth. Because he told them that if they ate of that tree, death was going to enter the world. And that happened. But what Adam and Eve didn't appreciate was what death actually means. And too often today, we don't really appreciate what death actually means either. Because most people, when they read this story, think that the minute they ate the fruit, they were just going to die instantaneous death. You do something wrong, boom, you're done. It's like people that say, you know, if this is wrong, may God just strike me dead right now. And then he doesn't strike you dead, so you go, okay, then I can do it. Because death didn't come right then, right there. But death is usually not instantaneous, though it can be. It's usually progressive. Things start to die. And the future that God has for you begins to die. And death doesn't stop at one stage. It just keeps going until it destroys everything. Their future was changed that day. The relationship that they had with God began to die. 
Started first with just the shame. They sewed fig leaves together. But their relationship over time would find their descendants further and further away from God. Until finally, nobody was left that even had a relationship with God except the family of Noah. And he would be the only one saved. It would be death to their marriage. The equality that Adam and Eve shared in the garden would begin to be gone. It would begin to die. Now power structures would come into marriage. Getting along with each other would not be easy. And the relationship that they had with each other would slowly deteriorate. Their family life would change. They were going to raise godly children, spread out through the earth, and and build a society for God. But their first child became a murderer. And each generation after that got worse as they turned further and further to themselves and farther and farther from God. Work changed. Instead of it being a pleasure, now it was a strain. Now they would never be able to work with the kind of assurance that they had because it would be a struggle every day just to get enough to eat. That's the community. The society that they were going to build slowly begins to die. Violence becomes the norm. Perversity becomes the norm. People can't get along with each other. They're building cities, but everybody's killing each other. Nobody's getting along. Families are broken apart. Everything is terrible. In fact, by the time you read about Noah in chapter 7, 8, you find It's almost hopeless. So God has to destroy everything and start over. But even in all that death and destruction, there was a promise of a savior. Because God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. He always has a plan. If Satan has a plan, remember, so does God. And God had a plan of redemption to show us a way back to eternal life, life that has been stolen by death, relationships that have been taken uh, by death and by sin can be restored if we know where to look. This idea of sin getting worse and worse over time, the progressiveness of sin, is something we need to understand. Things just don't fall apart overnight. Our culture hasn't gotten to where it is today in the last year Uh, It's been going on for quite some time. And take your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers chapter 21, where there's a story there that shows how sin enters into a relationship and begins to change it and the progressiveness of sin that almost brings you to the point of no hope when God steps in. In Numbers 21, you have the children of Israel in the wilderness. They've been following Moses, you know, on their way to the promised land now for quite some time. In fact, by the time you get to Numbers 21, it's the second generation in the promised land. Aaron has just died. This is the end of the 40 years of the wilderness. They are being told it's time to go into the promised land. But it's not easy. And they're finding out God's ways are not always the way that they think they should be. So Numbers 21, verse 4, speaking about this generation, it says, 
They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. See, the people have no focus. They, don't know, they know where they're going, uh, but they don't like the way to get there. And so they're frustrated, they're angry, they're bitter, because they don't understand the path God has for them, and they don't know what to do about it. Everybody that they relied on is now gone. The, the first generation that came out has pretty much disappeared. Now it's up to them, and they don't know what to do. They know the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness their whole life, and they're tired of the wilderness. They want to get somewhere. They've been talking about the promised land their whole life, but they've never seen the promised land. They're not going to get to the promised land. They just live in a wilderness, and they're tired of the wilderness, and they're impatient. They were going to get to the promised land real quick, but then the Edomites told them, no, you're not walking through our country, and now they have to go around. They have a setback. It's going to take longer. It's going to be more difficult. And when life starts to wear you down, when life becomes difficult, when you don't understand the way God is taking you, it's very, very easy to go negative. And that's what they do. They just get negative. You know you're on the wrong path when nothing suits you and you're upset about everything. And it'll show just like it did for them. First problem they had was leadership. Moses. Moses is taking them in the wrong way. They don't like Moses. They've been out there over 40 years with Moses, and Moses hasn't done anything yet. Now, never mind that he walked through the Red Sea, never mind all those plagues, all that stuff. Moses is not doing today what they want. The people God picks for leadership are always a problem for God's people. Have you noticed that? Leadership is difficult because it's never good enough. Now, I'll admit, none of us are as good as Moses. Moses was great. I mean, Mo you couldn't do what Moses did. Nobody's ever done what Moses does. In fact, the Bible says that. No leader's ever been as good as Moses. And they didn't like Moses. So what, what chance do the rest of us have? And it's one complaint after another. And they're preaching right. And the Spirit's not moving right. And we're not getting healed right. And I don't know why they're spending money on that. And I don't know why they're doing that. And when are they going to come and do this? And nobody listens to me. And I don't know why I even go. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'll find somebody else. I don't like the leader here. I don't like... When you murmur against the leadership that God has put into place, you got a problem. And you're going to go negative, and it's not going to go well. They weren't grateful anymore for God's provision. We don't have any water. We don't have any uh, meat. We don't have anything. But they just got water from the rock. In fact, that's why Moses isn't even going into the promised land because he got so mad he struck it twice. And now they got their water, but now, now Moses isn't going. One thing after another. But they said, we're sick of this bread. And that's the manna God has provided they have never been hungry a day in their life, but they're upset because they don't like the manna. 
You know, we have everything today. Most of us have enough to eat. We have clothes on our backs. We have cars. We have homes. We have so many things. And we just expect it after a while. We're not grateful anymore. In fact, if it goes away, then we're mad about that. Negative, bitter, angry, and one constant complaint. So they're complaining about the way, they're, they're complaining about the leadership, they're complaining about everything that God is doing, what he's providing. And so God pays attention. Verse 6. How does God respond to these negative people? It says, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. This reminds me of when you have a, a whiny little two-year-old. You ever had one? And they're just crying about nothing and stomping their little feet and having a big fit about something. Have you ever said as a parent, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry for? You ever said? That seems to be God's reaction here. You people want to complain, I'm going to give you something to complain about. And he sends the snakes. See, we're back to the serpents, back to the snakes. Here comes more sin, here comes the progression of sin. And the snakes start biting people. And some of them actually die. Now, if you've ever been around snakes, you know you don't want a bunch of snakes. And so the people recognize that they've done the wrong thing. Yeah, we, we shouldn't have said that. That was the wrong thing to do. Uh, we're sorry. You know, we're, we're repenting. Moses, pray, take the snakes away. Get rid of these snakes. We know that they're here because we did the wrong thing. But now we're sorry. So God, just take away the snakes. If you just make them go away, we will do better. We won't make that mistake again. We'll do better. Take the snakes away. The people were repenting because they did recognize that they had made a mistake. They had been complaining about the wrong thing. But what they really want God to do is take away the consequences of their sin. Let's get back to the way things were before we did that. Before we made the wrong decision. Before we sinned. Before we did what we shouldn't have done. God, take us back to that place and we'll do better. Take away the snakes. But that doesn't happen. Because the consequences from sin don't simply just go away because you wave a magic wand. You made a mistake. God will forgive. But there's still consequences. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. God didn't take away the snakes, but God made a remedy. He made a way for them to get through the problem. He made a snake and put it on a pole. And he said, now you've got to change your focus. 
Stop looking at the snakes down on the ground. Start looking up at the pole. Snakes never seem to go away because it still bit them. They said, well, now when it bites you, look at the pole. If you look at the snake that's on the pole, the snakes on the ground won't be venomous. They won't make you die. There's a way that you can get through this problem if you keep your eye on the pole, the snake on the pole, and not the snakes on the ground. I think it's interesting that he put a snake up on the pole. In other words, the problem is the snakes. Face your problem. You want a solution? Face what the problem actually is. Don't try to get God to take away the problem. God, take away the snakes. Make everything the way it used to be. Take us back to where everything was perfect. No, the snakes are staying. The decisions we make have consequences. We didn't get to where we are in this country by killing one snake. We all had a lot of them in the door. And you can't take it back. We're not going backwards to a time when America was more perfect, whatever that time may be, because it's actually never been. But we like to think it is. But God's not going to take away the snakes. He's going to give you the answer for what you need. And that answer was to get your eyes off the problem and get your eyes on the solution. That's where your help will come from. Your help's not going to come by focusing on all the problems. The help is going to come through the one who's the remedy. This is what John understood. In John chapter 3, he wrote the famous verse we all love to quote, John 3.16. But if you back up a couple verses, John references this very story. In John 3.14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The remedy for our culture today is Jesus Christ. He has been lifted up. He has been put on a cross, but he has come off that cross and been resurrected and gone up into heaven. And he says, we need to keep our eyes up on Jesus Christ instead of on all the problems that surround us. We got snakes everywhere biting us on every side, but so what? We have the answer. We have the solution. We have Jesus Christ as the one who can undo all of the issues that we face and give us a pathway through it. He's not going to take away all the problems. He's not going to take away all the snakes. He's not going like, to make life perfect for you. In fact, as Jesus said when he sent out the disciples in Matthew 10, you're going to get killed. You're going to get persecuted. Everybody's going to hate you. Good luck with that. But that's how you know you're successful. When everybody loves you, then you're not making many inroads. We have the answer. We need to take it into a dying world. And that answer is Jesus Christ. Look up. Look up at him on the pole. To take the message into the world, Jesus said, be wise as serpents. In other words, know the word of God backwards and forwards. Know the word of God so much that your foundation is so secure, nothing can take and break it up. No cracks will come in your foundation because you believe the word of God, you know it is true, and you will do what the word of God says. And he says, take that message into the world as harmless as a dove. What does that mean to be as harmless as a dove? 
Well, again, the first time you read about the dove in the Bible is back in Genesis 8. When Noah is sitting on that ark after all that destruction, and he sends a dove out into the air, and that dove flies. Takes it a couple times, but it finally comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. And when that dove arrives back on the ark, and Noah sees the olive branch, he has hope. He knows the destruction is over. It's not going to rain like that anymore. He knows it's just a matter of time until the waters will recede and they will have a new beginning. The dove is a picture of a new beginning. It's the picture of the Holy Spirit that flies through the air, bringing us hope to a world that needs it. When Jesus was baptized, that dove flew in and settled on Jesus to announce to the people that this was the incarnate Son of God, the answer that everyone had been looking for, the one who could give eternal life to a world that had been captured by death, and death was working on every corner. The Holy Spirit would be sent to us by Jesus himself, And that picture of a dove is the picture of the Holy Spirit flying above us, bringing hope to those that need to hear it. We love to quote the scripture, Satan's walking to and fro from the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And that is so true. Satan is going through the earth, and he's looking for everybody to devour. But while Satan is wandering the earth, the dove is flying above it. And the dove is bringing hope to a world that needs some hope. We need to look up instead of down. This is the most exciting time to be alive. If you don't think that, then you're looking at the snakes instead of the dove. You're too embroiled in the negativity of this culture to understand what God is doing. Because if you're paying any attention at all, you can begin to see the dove flying. You're starting to hear of worship services in universities where the Holy Spirit comes and people just begin to worship God. We're even seeing the dove fly over Hollywood. Last couple movies, you know, the Sound of Freedom movie is one of the highest grossing movies at the moment uh, against all the other trash that Hollywood puts out. And you know, the first exemption to the strike of the writers and the actors out in Hollywood, the first exemption that said they could keep filming, they do not have to stop, they can finish their series, was given to the chosen this week. See, God's not worried about the Hollywood strike. God's not worried about the trash they're putting out. When the dove starts to fly, he knows exactly where he's going. You just have to look up and see your redemption draws nigh. We have the answer, and we need to take it into the world. But we have to get our focus off the snakes and onto the answer. This is what the writer of Psalm 121 understood. Great psalm that we're going to end with today. The importance of perspective. 
He wrote, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. It's always looking up in the Bible. Looking up is a good thing. Looking down is the bad thing. I will lift up my eyes to the hills because that's where my help comes from. That's Christ on the cross. That's Christ in the resurrection. All of our help comes from the Lord and doing what God tells us to do. Get embroiled in the snakes. Start worrying about what the culture's up to. Start fussing about everything. You're just going to go negative. And when you find yourself getting negative, you know you need to start looking up. Look up to the creator of the heavens and earth. He created us. He knows us. He knows what will make us the best we can possibly be. And he's saying, if you will look up, I'll give you the help you need. I'll give you the direction you need. I'll get you through the problems. As long as the snake keeps biting you, it's not going to take you down if you keep your eyes focused on the answer, and that is in Jesus Christ. So no matter what your issue is, no matter what path you're on, when you get discouraged, when you get a problem, when you go negative, when you get angry, when, when you're upset because life isn't the way you think it would be, Start looking up. Start looking at the hills. His help is what we need. And, and as we close with the worship team's going to sing this song about Psalm 121. If the snakes are biting you, if you got a problem, come on down, make an altar, and talk to the Lord. This week, read those chapters. And know we have a job to do. We have to take the gospel message into a dying world. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. But it is going to be the answer. And when you don't know how to do it, look up. He will help you. Remember that. Look up. Get your eyes off the snakes and on the dove. Look at where the Lord is doing. Won't you stand as we close this morning? Again, if you need someone to pray with you, you're not sure where your help's coming from, We're glad to help you find direction. But remember, the Lord's word is true. The culture has gotten to a place today where even the unsaved are saying we're going in the wrong direction. Because you see the progressiveness of death. When you turn from God's truth, death comes into the picture. And it doesn't stop until it's destroyed everything. We're getting to that place quickly. But when you take the message of truth to a dying culture, they're ready to hear it. Don't be afraid. Don't think you don't have the answer. Be prepared for everyone to hate you. It won't matter. If you've got the truth, there will be those who will listen. And when you're following the path of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will take you to the people that will be receptive to the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. All of our help comes from him. Father, we thank you. Thank you that in the midst of trouble, you make a way. That you never leave us alone, you never forsake us, but you have the remedy for all of the problems that we have. So help us to keep our eyes up. Help us to know that our help comes from you. And help us to take into a culture, a culture quickly dying because of sin, the message of hope that comes from you. 
Bless us now as we go this week. We thank you for all your many blessings to us and ask you to keep us in your hand. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.